You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Well, uh, I think you're aware of this. Later today, the greatest football team of the season will be crowned. They'll receive the Lombardi Trophy, and the players will be asked some version of this question, what does it feel like to be the greatest? And we'll get to watch their answers. Uh, The rest of us will only be able to imagine how amazing that must be to win a championship at that level. But Jesus calls us to imagine something very different, and that's what we're looking at in this series. He invites us to consider the greatness that comes from a life characterized by service. As Dale mentioned, uh, our theme verse in Matthew 23, 11 for this series is, the greatest among you will be your servant. There's no trophy given for this pursuit. You will never see uh, a competition uh, for serving ever televised. And this really just uh, surprised the disciples. If you look at the context of what happens after this, you can tell it really set the disciples back, and it still is pretty surprising and confusing for us today. And the reason is because when we look around us, we see a very different idea of what greatness means. And that was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus said that, and it's still true today. And the question is, why does Jesus have this, this radically different perspective on greatness? I think the reason is that because he has a much larger perspective on what greatness is. We look at greatness from a, a temporary perspective, and that's because we are locked in time. We move forward one moment at a time, and so we are always looking at what appears to be great right now. And the problem is that what appears to be great now is not necessarily great tomorrow or even next year. I mean, the greatest football team this year will probably not be the greatest football team next year. I mean, the Chiefs have a chance to repeat this year, but that is very unusual. And God has a very different perspective. He looks at greatness from an eternal perspective. What that means is he adds up all of what has been done in space and in time, and he tells us from the perspective of forever, of eternity, what it is that really stands out as being truly great. And it turns out that it's the people who serve and invest in others that end up having the greatest impact in life and on into eternity. Now, we can see this. We get small glimpses of this even as we are locked in time right now. We can see what Jesus is talking about. I mean, just consider the coaches for today's big game. Uh, Did Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid just suddenly appear on the planet like a week ago? and now they're in the Super Bowl. No, they are 44 and 65-year-old highly skilled football coaches that both have a history. And that history has shaped them to be great football coaches. I mean, first of all, both of them had parents. They wouldn't even be here without that. And there are a lot of different ways you can describe parenting, but I think sacrificial serving pretty much sums up what it means to be a parent. Now, will any of the parents of either of these coaches that win today, will they be receiving a trophy? No, they won't. But God sees what they did, and he sees the connection to what their sons are doing today. He doesn't see it as separate and random. Now, if we think about it, we see it too, but we just don't think about it. We are so locked in the moment, and we forget. I think that's one of the reasons why the birth rate is plummeting in our nation right now. There are many different reasons, many studies have been given to it, but I think one of the reasons is because our culture is so laser-focused on individual greatness, and so everybody wants to be individually great, and almost nobody aspires to serve. And as I said, if you're going to be a parent, 
your individual greatness will be impacted by the amount of time and effort and money you have to put into your children. And that's one of the reasons why people just don't want to have kids, because it costs so much in every respect. But these coaches didn't just have parents. They had other people that influenced their lives. They had coaches themselves. I want to show you the coaching tree from a list of the NFL coaches from last year. These are all the NFL coaches, not this year, but last season. And this is the coaching tree. And if you notice at the very top of the tree, there's one individual, one man, that all of the current coaches come from. His name is Paul Brown. He's the legendary coach of the Cleveland Browns. Now, this is where Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan show up on this coaching tree. And if you look up line from them, you can see the people that have influenced them. And you can also look down line and see the people that they are currently influencing that are head coaches in the NFL. Now, will any of the coaches who are upline from either the two coaches today, will they be getting a trophy depending on who wins? No, they won't. Again, it's because we tend to award, and it's understandable, it would be hard to do the research to reward everyone that's been behind this, but we tend to reward individual accomplishment, not the investments that have produced that accomplishment. And so we forget about the serving investments that have made us who we are and the people that we see to be great as who they are. But God, again, God's view is from eternity, and he sees this. Now, there's a math term that describes what God sees when he looks at people serve, and I think it's a, a helpful analogy. It's the term exponential. Exponential is simply defined as repeated multiplication. So again, parenting is clearly an exponential investment. It's an investment that multiplies over time. You invest in having and raising a child, and then that child goes on, in most cases, to outlive you and do things after you're gone and do more things than you can do. So your life is multiplied in the life of a child. And if that child has children of her own, then the multiplication is even a higher factor. The exponential keeps going up on that. Now, in math, this multiplying effect is called the exponent. That's the, the root of the word exponential. And it's represented by this small number that's up and to the right of the larger number. So we're doing a little math review here for all of you. Um, so the smaller number, or I'm sorry, the larger number is called what? It's called the base. And the little number is the exponent, or sometimes it's called you know, to the power of. Now, I present this because our life, I think, can somewhat be represented in this way. What we have and who we are can be represented by the base. And how we serve or don't serve is represented by the exponent. The big number is what we have, what our gifts are, uh, the opportunities that we've been given, where we live, the talents that we have, the people have invested in us, the, the resources that God has given us. And the base is different for all of us. Some of us are more gifted in some ways than others. Some of us have more resources than others. Some of us have better opportunities than others. It's just different. And that doesn't mean that some people have more value or less value. It's just the way God distributes life. It's just different. We have different abilities, different interests, different opportunities, different resources. And if you were to measure us on a scale of 1 to 10 in any of the category, we would, again, we'd have different numbers. For example, if you want to talk about football, I'm a 1. 
I mean, probably not even a one. I, I played in seventh grade, that's it. So I probably don't even get on the scale of one to 10. Patrick Mahomes, 10. So I, I'm, I'm you know, much less able to do anything in the football area than Patrick Mahomes. We're just different. And part of it is because of the work that's, but you know, I could do the work that Patrick's done. I would not ever do what Patrick's done. Yeah, it's just different. And that's the way God has distributed life to us. But it's the small number, the exponent, that represents our investment in what God wants us to do in the lives of others. That's the service number. And that is where the power really exists. The power of your life is in the small number, not the base, not the big number. Let me give you the math example to represent this. Eight to the power of two is 64. Okay, that's eight times eight. It's not eight times two, it's eight times eight, eight to the power of two. But if you just flip the numbers around and put the smaller number as the base and the bigger number as the exponent, the difference is massive. Two to the power of eight is 256. So God, as I said, gives us all different bases, but we decide whether or not we will multiply what God has given us and by what factor. That's the serving decision. Now, what we tend to do is focus on the base. We, we take whatever base God has given us, and we, we spend our whole life trying to go from a three to a four in one area, or a five to a six, or, or whatever it is. And that's how we define greatness. But if you want to be great, if you want your life multiplied over time and into eternity, then you will focus on the small number. You'll take what God has given you. Sure, you will work on it and enhance it, but your real effort will be figuring out how can I take what God has given me and leverage that in service to Him. Now, for me personally, this is very encouraging because there's only so much you can do to increase the base, to increase what you have and who you are, what God has given you. But serving is something we can all work on. It's something we can all do. So why is it that we still struggle to serve? I think the reason is we just, we just don't see life the way God sees it. We see life the way it looks, the way our world sees it. And that's always the way it is. So what I want to do this morning with the time we've got left is I want to share with you three perspectives from God's perspective that we need to have on life if we are going to increase the exponent, the power of our life. So kind of three lenses uh, really consider this a, a look from heaven's perspective on what really is great. So we're going to look at these three perspectives because these perspectives tend to determine whether the exponent, the power of our life, goes up or whether it goes down, whether that number goes up or goes down. Perspective number one is this. Your serving is about an assignment, not volunteering. So if you understand that God wants you to serve, not as just a volunteer with the leftovers and the extras of your life, but as a priority because it's an assignment, then your serving number will tend to go up. If you think it's just a volunteering thing to do, if you're feeling like you need to add a little extra meaning to your life, or you've got a little extra time or a little extra resources, then your serving number will probably be pretty slow. In the book of uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he started in the first century in the city of Corinth. This was in ancient uh, Greece. That's why it's called 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the New Testament part of the Bible. And in the first letter, 1st Corinthians, Paul is addressing a number of 
conflicts or problems that have come up in this church. And one of the conflicts is a leadership challenge uh, amongst the people in the church. There's some people that think Paul, because he started the church, is the greatest. And other people think that Apollos, who stuck around after Paul left and really helped grow the church and train people how to follow Jesus, they think Apollos is the greatest. And so there's it's not just an intellectual debate. People are deciding you know, who they really like, and it's causing conflict. And so the Apostle Paul writes back, and he addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, and he says this, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? You know, let's be clear on who we are. You think we're the greatest? Here's the truth. We are only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. He says we're just servants doing the assigned task that God has given us. He says in that way, we're like everyone else in this church. We're no greater, we're no worse than anyone else. We're just doing our assignment. So if you're doing your assignment, I'm doing my assignment. If, if I get more profile, that doesn't mean I'm greater. I'm just doing my assignment, like you should be doing your assignment. Now, most of what we do as a church is done by volunteers would be the correct team to use. And that's why we encourage everyone to volunteer on a team. This is one of the things that, the symbols that we use to describe, hey, you'll raise your hands, I, I want to serve, I want to help out, volunteer on a team. And we use the word volunteer because you're not paid to do it. So we just want to make sure that this is not a paying thing. This is something that you're doing for free. That's the definition of volunteer. The problem with the term volunteer is that it tends to imply, because we're not paying for it, that it's not as important as the paying part of your life, or it's, it's optional, unlike the paying part of your life. And that's just not the case. And the reason is because when you serve in the, the church that God has called you to, it's an assignment from God. Yes, you are volunteering, but it's much more than that. It's an assignment from God, and that is what makes it important. Not the amount that you're paid to do it or not paid to do it. So while we do volunteer on a team here, we are not to do it with a volunteer mentality. What's the difference? Well, if you, if you have a volunteer mentality and something else comes up, the volunteer job gets bumped. But if you've been given an assignment from God, then very little can get in the way of that. I mean, there's some things, but there's less. So those who decide to follow Jesus, Paul is saying, you've been given an assignment. You've not just been asked to volunteer and help out. You've, you've been, it's bigger than that. You have been given a place in the body of Christ, a church, and something for you to do there. There's a place and an assignment there. And if you don't know where that is or what that is, then your first priority should be to find out where does God want me and what does he want me to do in service to him. And if you're not at the church where God has assigned you to be, then that church is going to be impacted. They may feel it or be aware of it or not, but there's going to be an impact. Because just like any employer who has a job to be filled, it's not just make-believe work. It's really needing to be done. And when God gives an assignment, it's because it needs to be done. Let's just say, for example, this is the church where God has assigned you to be. 
And God wants you to be on the greeting team. I don't know, but let's just use that as, a, as an example. But what if you are not here and you're not on that team? Well, we probably won't notice on, on any particular morning because there are a lot of other greeters on the team. But it still has an impact. I don't know how, but it's going to have an impact. Maybe, for example, God wants to, to bring more people out of this community to come here on a Sunday. But he's holding off on moving in their hearts because he needs more people to volunteer and greet them. One of the things we hear often is the first impression, really like the first three minutes that someone walks on the campus, they make a decision as to whether they're ever coming back or not before they hear anything else. And a lot of that has to do with how they're greeted and, and whether they feel valuable or not. So maybe God's holding off. I don't know, but maybe he is because there's some people that are not stepping into the assignments. I'm saying all this to say, I don't know for sure how that works, but I know that when God gives an assignment, it's because it's important and it needs to be done and it has an impact if it's not done. Now, the challenge with volunteering on a team is that sometimes volunteering can be hard. And if you're not getting paid for it, the thought is, what am I doing this for? I remember when I was coaching Little League years ago and I stepped in to help the manager, and so I, I had to make some decisions, and the parents just got furious. And I was, my first thought was, look, I'm not getting paid. Back off. You know, if I was getting paid, I'll take grief. But if I'm not getting paid, I don't want to take any grief. And so what was happening in the church in Corinth is they were serving, and they were part of the church, and life was really hard, especially for all first century churches. It it wasn't as, as easy to serve as, as it is often now. And so some of them wanted to leave to try to find an easier life. And Paul addresses that a few chapters later from what we looked at in chapter 3 in verse, or chapter 7, verse 17. He says this, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches." What he's saying is, let me just tell you the, the general rule for all of the churches, not just the church in Corinth. Stay put and keep serving where you are. Why? Because serving is an assignment. And assignments don't change because you decide, but because the one who gave the assignment decides. That's a big difference. You know, a volunteer volunteers until they get sick of it and they stop volunteering. But assignments are different. Assignments from God, I think more accurately would be to, to think of it more like a military posting. Now, it's not, but it has more of the similarity to that. You know, if you're in the military and you're given an assignment, you're given orders, you don't get to change those orders. You have to stay put. Now, if the orders change, then you, then you change. Now, we can request a change from God, but we need new orders before we leave. So if this is your church, again, I don't know if it is. If you're not sure, that's for you to figure out. But if this is your church, then what that means is you're not just hanging out here. You are posted here by God himself. And if it gets hard, which it does sometimes, that doesn't mean it's time to leave. If you think it's time to leave, check your orders. It may be. I don't know. That's between you and God. Now, God moves people from one church to another all the time. That's fine. And God moves people out of this area to another area or another state. 
And if you're praying about a move, I would just say make sure that that move is not just about your career, not just about where the income taxes are lower, but it's about a different assignment from God. You know, a soldier doesn't get transferred from the state of California to the state of Texas. They get transferred from here to Fort Hood. You know, there's a place, there's a post, there, there's a, an assignment. We are servants of Christ. We don't get to move just because we want to or because our career wants to. We have to check in with the one we follow. But what if you are in the wrong place? I mean, you may be. What if you're in the wrong place? Well, again, Paul says, here's the general rule. The general rule is retain the place in the life that the Lord has assigned you. What he's saying is, your operating assumption, your starting assumption should be that your current place in life is God's assignment. What that means is, you didn't just end up where you are by your choice or just randomly. It may seem like it was all you're doing. It may seem like a random set of circumstances, but God is behind where you are. This job that you're at, this city that you live in, this church may not be where God has you forever, but you're not here by accident. You were posted here. So don't abandon your post until you get new orders and get clear on your new assignment. You know, a few weeks ago, I just mentioned off to the side that I'm turning 65 this year, and I had a handful of people come up to me afterwards, and what they heard me say is, I'm retiring this year. I did not say that. I said, I'm turning 65, but I'm not retiring this year. I mean, I will retire at some point. That's just a matter of number. You know, I mean, eventually I'm going to get old enough, and it's going to be, you know, get the old guy out of the way so the next generation can, can come and, and lead us on into the future. But I don't know when that is going to be. You can pray for me and for those of us in leadership as we figure out God's guidance on that. But for me, it's not about my personal preference. It's about an assignment. And one of the mistakes we tend to make in retirement is we set aside the assignment God has given us and we have no clue about the next assignment. And that's really a challenge, to leave one assignment and have no idea about the next assignment. So just want to set the, set the record straight. I'm not, I'm not retiring uh, anytime soon. Perspective number two. So perspective one is your serving is about an assignment, not just volunteering. Perspective number two is your gifting, the gifts that God has given you, is about ministering more than it is about consuming. It's not just about consuming. So if you view the gifts that God has given you as an indication of how he wants you to serve, then you will serve more. If you view the gifts that he has given you primarily about an opportunity for you to leverage those gifts for your own benefit, then you will probably serve less. So assignments from God always come with the gifts from God to do that assignment. 1 Peter 4.10 describes it this way, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So what gifts have you received from God? I mean, just it, it's for you to think, think through that. But for example, are you healthy? That's a gift. Are you alive? That's a gift. You know what that's a gift of? That's a gift of time. You have time. Do you have a good mind? Do you have financial resources? Are you good with people? Can you organize? 
Are you a good communicator? And I could go on and on. There's all kinds of gifts. God has given all of us gifts. The question is, why? Our first and natural assumption is for our benefit. And that's partly why we have gifts, for our benefit. But we think that's exclusively why, because, well, when we give gifts, that's what's behind our intention. When you give a gift on Christmas to someone, you're not looking for them to give part of it back to you. It's just a gift. It's for their benefit. But when God gives us gifts, it's not just for our benefit. There are some benefits that come from that, definitely, and that's, that's fine. That's okay. But what he is doing is he gives us gifts to serve others, is what it's saying here. So his gifts, whatever they are, time, ability, resources, opportunities, his gifts are really the raw material of the future impact that we can make. But like raw material, like a chunk of iron ore, it doesn't do any good just sitting there. It needs to be refined, it needs to be crafted, it needs to be put into service. So what gifts do you have and what might God want you to do in service to him and to others? I'll just share with you personally. My wife and I are empty nesters. We've been empty nesters for a while now. And that comes with some gifts. You know, the two main gifts that I was aware of initially after our kids moved out of the house, it comes with a gift of more time and more money. I mean, after your kids leave, you'll discover, wow, that took a lot of time. And you'll look at each other, it's like, what do we do now? Because we got time. I mean, before, that wasn't even a question before. It's like, how do we survive now was the question for, you know, 20 years. But now we got time. And, you know, the other thing I realized is like, wow, that was expensive. You know what? We got some extra money now, you know, because usually incomes don't go down just because your kids move out, you know, it continues on, and, but you don't have the expense of kids. So my first thought, and I'll tell you, this is, this is a while ago, my first thought was, all right, now finally we get to go on some cruises. That was my first thought. And that, that would have been fine, but it just hasn't worked out for us. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going on cruises, because we've been on cruises. That's why I want to go on more cruises. I, it's really fun. I really enjoy it. But it just hasn't, hasn't worked out year after year. There's been different things that have come in the way of doing that. And the one right now that's, that's in the way of doing that is I have been working for the past three years on getting my doctoral degree. And I, I'm doing that not because I need a doctoral degree. I'm not looking to pad my resume. I, I, I'm not looking for another job anywhere. Uh, I don't want to go into teaching. So why am I getting a doctoral degree at this age in life? That's a good question. The only reason that I started doing this three years ago is because one of the things, one of the big things that we do kind of behind the scenes here at Seabreeze is we are part of a training program that takes five years for those who are planning to start new churches or lead in churches. And that training is so robust that a, a, a school approached us years ago and offered to give us a fully accredited master's degree for that training. So we've been doing that for a number of years now. But full accreditation comes with the oversight of two major accrediting boards. They accredit all of the college and universities in North America. And about three years ago, in reviewing this program, they said those who teach in it need to have a doctoral degree. So I'm one of the teachers. So I said, well, I guess I'm doing this. And my first thought was, how hard could it be? I mean, I was good at school 34 years ago, you know? And it turns out, man, so it's taken a lot of 
well, all of my time and more, and some of my money to pursue this. But I can't think of a better exponential investment than to serve in training future church starters and future church leaders. I mean, what a, what a great thing. So God willing, I'll graduate in May. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go on a cruise. <laughs> we're we're going we're to get to that uh, eventually. Um, so we're not sure where, but we're going to do it. So what, what gifts have God given you? I mean, you're different than me. You're in a different situation. You've got different resources, different opportunities. But don't just think of how you can leverage it for consuming, but how you can leverage it for ministering. Because rather than dispense His grace, which is God's goodness to us, rather than dispense it directly into this world, God has decided to administer it through us. The root of the word administer is minister, which means to serve. So if we decide to use our gifts exclusively for our benefit, we end up blocking some of the goodness that God wants to do in this world. Now, God will figure out a way to get around us, and He'll do good through another situation, another person, but we are the ones that will miss out on having the exponent, the power of our life increase over time. Now, administering implies structure and org organization. You know, God's grace distribution plan is not just that individuals use their gifts to serve others in any way they feel like. Now, that's okay. But God intends to administer it, which means there, there's some structure to it. Back in 1982, a new phrase began to, to emerge, and you've probably heard this phrase. It's, it was uh, because... A woman by the name of Ann uh, Herbert wrote a phrase on a napkin in a Sausalito restaurant that caught on. And here's the phrase she wrote down on that napkin. Practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Now, we've seen this on bumper stickers. We've, we've heard this. And it really challenged people to, you know, to serve, to look at people around them, to figure out how to serve, how to, to love. And it was a good thing. But there's one thing about this that isn't completely the kind of serving that God wants us to do. And that is, serving is not supposed to be just random and senseless. It's supposed to be intentional. You know, serving can be random and senseless, but servants are not. There's a difference between serving and being a servant. A servant isn't a position. Serving is just the act. You know, if you go to a restaurant today and you're served by a waiter, you are expecting more than random and senseless service, Right? You're expecting some structure to the way things go, and so is the owner of that restaurant. Why? It's because the person, the, the waiter, has a serving position. And if we're in charge of our own serving, we tend to remain pretty much on the selfish side of the gifts that God has given us. But a servant doesn't serve on their own terms. They have an authority. They have a boss. We need a real servant position, not just a general impulse to serve. That's why God set up the church to be the primary place where He wants us to serve. And again, that's why we'll put, you know, that's why we volunteer on a team. And it's 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 easy to approach church with a consumer mentality because we are a consumer economy. In other words, to approach the church primarily from the angle of what do they have for me? You know, what are my needs? 
does this church met my need, you know, match my needs? And, and that approach, honestly, is not entirely wrong or flawed because the church is where God's grace is delivered. And a lot of what we do need can be found in the context of the church. But if you want the exponent of your life to increase, that occurs not as you primarily find a church to meet your needs, but as you find a church where you can serve faithfully. The way God has designed life, it's as we do life His way that our needs are met. If you primarily pursue your needs, then your need, you're, just always, just, you're just chasing them. But it's as you serve and do what God wants you to do that you'll notice one day, hey, I'm happier than I used to be. My needs are being met more than they used to be. So again, what gifts has God given you and where can you serve? Perspective number three, the last one, your reason to serve is about an altar, not a container. What this gets at is to the results of your serving. One of the hard things about serving is when you don't have something to show for it, it gets really hard to keep serving. We're all happy to serve if we can see the immediate impact of our service. But so many times we serve and we can't see the immediate impact. And parenting is a great example of that. You know, you serve and then you're concerned. <laughs> and you serve and then you don't know. So this is Paul's concern as he is writing to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. And in verse or chapter 2, he's, he's writing about what he hopes will be true of the lives of the people he's invested in in this city. He says, the reason is because I, I want to know that I did not labor or run for nothing, or run or labor for nothing. But then he goes on to say this. He says, but, and this is a very important but, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. What is he talking about? Well, like all of us, Paul is doing the math in his head, and he's looking at these people. He's saying, I hope, hope you guys don't flake out on me. I hope all the sacrifice, all the time, all those shipwrecks and all the costs and everything that I went into to come and share the good news of Jesus and to see you decide to follow my, I hope you hang in there. I hope you don't turn and reject Christ or go off into the weeds. He was hoping that his investment would count. And the reason is because he didn't want to have nothing to show for it. The word nothing in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament is written in, means empty. And it's, it's actually a word picture of pouring into a leaky container. It's a great image of what he's talking about. In other words, I want to pour my life out, and I want to have something to show for it. And this, this is what we do. We sacrificially pour out our service, and then we look over the edge of what we've been pouring into, and we want to see some results. And the problem is, the way this world is, things leak. It feels like you've served for nothing. Now, we've all experienced this in life. You know, like I said, parenting is, is, is like this. You know, you, you pour your life out, and then something happens, and, and it looks like it wasn't going to really work out the way you thought it was. In all cases, your kids grow up to be adults. You know what that means? They get to make their own decisions. And you don't necessarily agree with their decisions. And so if you're a parent, you've had the experience of looking over the edge of onto their life, and you're not just kind of mildly interested. You want their life to go well. 
And when you see something happen and not go well, it just discourages you. And one of the questions, even if you don't say it in your heart, is like, so what was all that for? Why, why, did, why did we spend so much money and so much time and so much grief and so many tears for that? And it just discourages you. But we've experienced that even beyond parenting. You know, someone you've invested in betrays you, turns on you. And we've experienced this in church life. You know, some of you have been part of churches that you've poured your life into. And then that church just goes off track. Or the church falls apart. And the problem is this, is the primary thing that God calls us to serve is people. And people are the leakiest of all containers because people have free will. And just because you've invested and just because you've instructed doesn't mean they're going to turn out or things are going to work out, definitely in the short term, the way you think. And it's the same with church because a church is just a bunch of people, a bunch of leaky containers. And so the natural response is to stop pouring, to stop serving. So what will move us to serve God when our efforts aren't yielding the results that we rightfully hoped for? Well, Paul points to a bigger pouring image in his mind than this container. His top goal, he said, this way he said, but even if, I'm okay, because even if, his top goal was to pour out his life to God like a drink offering is the term he used. What he's saying is under the container of each church and life that Paul had poured into, was, was like an altar to God. And what he'd poured into may leak out of that container, but it falls on the altar. And he's pointing to something that was true in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. In the Old Testament, God had instructed that a drink offering of wine or water was to be poured out on most of the altars of sacrifice that were offered to him. And Paul tells us what that image was teaching. He said it was a symbolic representation that we are to pour our lives out in sacrifice to God. So you pour out that water, it's a symbol of your life just being, I mean, day by day, year by year, until it's empty and you die. You're to be pouring it out on the location, the place, the assignment, which is the altar that God has told you to pour this out on. So even if the water of your life runs out on the ground and it just seems like it's wasted. It's not. Because it was offered to God in the place he assigned you. And so therefore, it's not lost. It went onto an altar. You see, God's perspective is an eternal one. He sees the eternal impact of every act of service, and he sees that it's not wasted. In this life, it looks wasted, but God says it's not. I think one of the great joys of heaven will be seeing some of the impact of what we did in service to God that looked like it just leaked out onto the ground and it was gone. But I think in heaven we'll get to see some of the sprouts that God grew out of what we poured our lives into that we didn't think meant anything. Now all we can see are the initial results. Then we will see as God sees. One of the things that we do each year here at Seabreeze is about a week, sometimes two weeks before Easter, we do a campus cleanup day. We haven't decided exactly what day this is going to be this year, but it'll, it'll happen. And I remember several years ago, I was working next to someone here at Seabreeze, and we were trimming 
these bushes out front here. And we got started on those bushes, they're rosemary bushes, so it's a very fragrant experience to trim those bushes. But we, um, the person next to me just stopped for a moment, you know, pulled the shears back and said, I trimmed this exact same bush last year. <laughs> and what he was saying is, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. But that's, that's what bushes do. They need to be trimmed over and over again. And it just to me, it was an image of, this is what sometimes it feels like. We're just doing this over and over again. But it's done in service to God. And therefore, it's honored. So why do we serve? It's because this is the assignment, this is the place, and we do it to God. The big question is, where does God want you to pour out your life, and what what that means, not what do you have to show for it. Now, I pray, like Paul did, I pray that the investment that we've all made and continue to make here in this church, here in Seabreeze, I pray that it will continue on for generations. I don't know if it will. I, I pray that it will. Honestly, it, it looks promising right now. But I'm convinced, along with many of you, that this is the place where God has assigned me to serve. So even when things have looked bad, and there have been times, if you've been around for a while, they have looked bad. And I've asked God for another assignment, and he said no. And I remind myself that this is an altar of sacrifice and service. This is not a container. And it's the same with you. So this afternoon, enjoy the Super Bowl. I plan to enjoy the Super Bowl. It's going to be fun. Because I don't care who wins. So that, that makes it... Well, I don't know if it's, it's a different kind of fun than if the team I care about is in it. But as you watch this and as you watch our world and the greats of our world shown before us, just remember this. It's just football. It's not true greatness. Enjoy it. It's going to be fun, but it's not true greatness. And then maybe during the game, you can do some serving behind the scenes and aspire to be the greatest. Let's pray. Father, um, what a gift it is uh, for us to hear your words from eternity, to give us lenses through which we can see our life differently. Because we, we can't see from the perspective of eternity. We're just locked in time. We see today, and then we can imagine tomorrow, and then tomorrow happens, and, and we see what our world says, and what is greatness around us, and we just are influenced by that. So we thank you for the gift of being able to see from your perspective what true greatness is. And I pray you'd help us to adopt these perspectives so that whatever you've given us in life might be multiplied uh, to make an impact that is far beyond what we've received from you. We thank you for those who have served and invested in us. And may we, as we serve you, be grateful in service to other people. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.